Welcome to the Employee Experience and Education Podcast, the Teacher Retention Podcast for School Leaders, and I'm your host, Eric Brainstetter. Thank you for listening today. In this podcast, we'll speak with school leaders, former educators, and industry experts to better understand the employee experience in education. Our goal is to equip school leaders with realistic and actionable strategies to keep more teachers in the classrooms. On this inaugural episode, we'll speak with Jason Cochran, psychologist, co-founder, top podcast host, and employee experience expert and speaker, who will shed some light on what the employee experience means, why it's absolutely critical for you to intentionally plan for a great EX, and he'll share his four principles of connection framework so you can create an employee experience that helps you keep more teachers in the classroom. All right, Jason, thanks so much for joining us today. You know, as I think about the employee experience, I've learned this first episode to have an expert and really set the foundation. Before we get to that, though, I'd love to hear just a little bit about yourself, what you're working on personally and professionally, and then why did you become an educational psychologist? Yeah, so I I am an educational psychologist. That's my background. I worked in schools for 14 years, um, mostly here in Indiana. And I love the work. I love the challenge of trying to create healthy school cultures uh, for not only the kids, but for the adults in the buildings. Um, And eventually got to a point where the type of work I was doing in school was actually seen as something really valuable to bring into business as well. Because businesses were trying to think about the employee experience and how do we retain our talent, how do we develop our talent, and take it to the next level. And so it was a really interesting transition for me, having worked in schools to now working hand in hand with some of the top strategic human capital leaders in the world in business. And I think what's been really interesting is seeing some of the ideas of things that we did in schools are good ideas to do in business and vice versa. Some of the things that businesses are doing well when it comes to talent strategy are definitely some things that we need to pull into schools as well, especially right now with how many teachers and administrators are burned out. Yeah, you mentioned this idea of burnout, teacher burnout. It's pervasive, right? And it's not just teachers. It's classified staff. It's bus drivers. It's substitute teachers. It's it's everywhere. And there's some some pretty alarming data out there. About 90% of teachers experienced burnout symptoms in the last year. And teachers are twice as likely as a general population to experience job-related stress. And as a former administrator, educator myself, like I get that. I totally understand that. So one of the things that happens is we keep adding additional responsibilities and expectations on our staff, but we don't really remove much, right? Stuff's not taken away. And then you have the pandemic on top of that, and now you have a lot of teachers covering other teachers' classrooms. You've got standards, you have children behavior, you have parents sometimes to deal with. There's just a lot of expectations that are being placed on teachers. So what a lot of school leaders are doing is they're looking at job fairs, right, to hire new staff, recruiting efforts to hire new staff. But I wonder if that's maybe not the most important lever for us, because sure, people are going to leave. They're going to leave the classroom. Some transition is natural and is even a positive thing. But what about this idea of teacher retention? And as you think about teacher retention, how can we start to impact teachers where we can create an environment where they choose to stay instead of choose to leave? Well, that's a big one. And those statistics you just shared are alarming. 90% of teachers are experiencing burnout. And even though I haven't worked in a school um, since 2017, what I can tell you is I could even see that then, back in 2017. And so I think the pandemic has simply accelerated and increased an already bad number of uh, staff 
not a bad number, but a high number of staff who were experiencing burnout related to their work. And what exactly is burnout? Well, it's actually a diagnosable condition um, in the ICD-11, the International Classification of Diseases. So it is a real thing when you hear about burnout. And you can be burned out in different phases of your life, but specifically the, the diagnostic code QD85 has to do with being burned out from your job. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about teachers experiencing 90% levels of burnout with their jobs. And so we got to look at the precipitating factors around that. And I got to tell you, Eric, you've probably seen this too. Back when we were cutting our teeth, getting started in school, working in schools 15 years ago, it used to be that the allure of having a summer break and then getting to work with kids, if that was your purpose, if that was your joy in life, those two things, summer break and working with kids, was enough to keep teachers motivated and inspired and willing to do the job and put up with the stress. I believe now it's no longer enough. Summer breaks are cut short. Expectations are way higher. Like you said, things are not coming off of their plate, but things continue being added to their plate. Increasing demands from parents, from administrators, from school boards, from legislatures. Um, teachers and administrators are feeling it from all directions. And so the pressure is on. What there hasn't been is an increase in the amount of recognition and appreciation practices for staff. There have not been uh, many increases in pay to even keep up with rising costs of inflation. So total rewards and benefits has become an issue as well. And let's talk about autonomy. Autonomy is a huge driver of how people feel about the work that they do. Basically, that means that people feel like they have decision-making power within the day-to-day -day parts of their job. And teachers feel like that is diminished because now more and more is being placed on top of them in terms of what and how they teach from the legislature to administrators as well. And so all of this has combined to create increased stress levels for teachers where they feel like they're working way more hours than they ever have before. They don't feel appreciated. Many of them are working second jobs, um, whether it's bartending, uh, you know, door dashing, whatever it might be in the gig economy to help make ends meet. And then there isn't as much vacation time as there used to be because you're using that vacation time to prep for the next school year. And then on top of that, all the stuff to change with COVID. So now maybe you're not in the classroom with kids as often as you used to be. You're doing more of the virtual kind of, of training um, or teaching with students. All of these factors go into what you talked about, which is the employee experience. And the employee experience Regardless of what industry we're talking about, whether it's education, business, nonprofit, employee experiences, what's it like to work for that organization? And that goes from the whole candidate experience, what's it like to actually apply for a job at this place, all the way to if I'm an employee and I eventually offboard, what's the offboarding process like? And then everything else in between and that employee life cycle. Um, from the moments that you share with your colleagues to the types of performance feedback systems that are in place to uh, employee recognition and appreciation practices, all of those different cadences and rhythms of things that organi organizations need to do with and for their people, that makes up what we call the employee experience.
and that is what it's like to work for that organization. So all of those things to say, the employee experience for the adults at school is the penultimate challenge that must be overcome for schools right now. I've got to get off on my soapbox, but I got, I got to say one more thing here, Eric. Sure, please. Because you've heard this too. We do a great job in education of talking about it's all about the kids all the time. It's all about the kids. Everything that we do, all the money that is invested in schools, curriculum directors, looking at extracurricular programs, all these things. Okay, I totally get that. But it's about time that school leaders focus on the adults first in school. Because the student experience and the student outcomes are directly attributable to the experience of the adults and how it is to work in that school system. So if you do not, if you're a district, you're a superintendent or you're a school board member and you're collecting data, you're getting uh, employee net promoter scores that are really low that basically say, I wouldn't recommend coming here to work from the people who work there. It doesn't matter how much more money, time, and effort you're injecting into student-based objectives. If you don't back the truck up and address creating an amazing experience for your teachers and administrators, then it's a wash. All of that extra work that you're putting into those student outcomes, it's not going to come to fruition because the teachers and administrators are the ones who deliver the value in education, which is creating an amazing experience for the students, academically, socially, preparing them for post-secondary work, right? So I think there's, there's a step that we have to consider right now in education and transforming the way that we think about where we invest our resources in school. Now, this is not me saying, hey, we need to cut back on the basketball program and things like that. What I'm saying is, we need to give equal weight to making sure we're investing and in being a good steward of resources in the employee experience for the teachers first and foremost, but then all of the other adults that are supporting the teacher in delivering the valuable educational experience to the students. And so, in my humble opinion, I think that is where the majority of schools in our country have got to circle back refocus and think through what the ideal employee experience needs to look like in their organizations for their teachers and administrators and they need to do so by gathering those people's input don't just go off to the side and start coming up with your own strategies and ideas of what to do you need to do anonymous surveys you need to be doing exit surveys stay interviews there's a lot of different types of data points where you need to continually ask your people for feedback on how you as an employer, as an organization, are doing for them and where you can get better. And the employee net promoter score is one of those additional metrics that can be used to understand where you are as a district um, with regard to your people and how they feel about working there. And if they would recommend to anyone that they know to come and work there too. And that's such a paradigm shift because like you said, everything has been very student focused and it makes sense. Schools exist to help serve students, to help students become successful. They contribute to society. They help make society better. But the biggest influence on student success is the teachers. 
And if you have teachers that are leaving the classroom at an alarming rate, what's left for the students then? How are we better, how are we best serving our students? And that comes from having staff that are fully equipped, that are fully present, that have a good employee experience. And you, you mentioned employee experience. We've talked about that quite a few times. There are some other words that are used quite often. Can you provide some clarity on, is that the same thing as culture and climate? Is it the same thing as employee engagement? Is it the same thing as teacher satisfaction? How is employee experience maybe different from some of those other words that we've used in the past? Well, that's a great question. Uh, so to put it simply, employee experience are the drivers. What are the levers you actually need to pull on in the employee life cycle that actually matter to your employees to make it better for them? The thing that drives me nuts whenever we hear all this talk about engagement and culture, those are the afterthoughts. Those are the things that you get at the end. We need to focus on what we call the lead indicators, not the lag indicators as much. Culture is what you get at the end based off of the things that you do. So culture is a lag indicator. It's almost like uh, here in Indiana, we used to have the high stakes test called the I-STEP. How useful was it that you got it the following year to see how people did the following year? It's not something that can be used to plan in advance or to make incremental changes, right? That's where employee experience is really powerful. Yeah. If you're gathering these metrics like employee net promoter score along the way, you're able to figure out, okay, we're getting feedback from our staff that are saying they feel underappreciated. And the ways that they want to be shown appreciation is maybe more handwritten cards or maybe have uh, some gift cards that go out occasionally um, and call out people who are doing amazing work in the schools. Those are the drivers, the lead indicators of things that you can actually do. And that's employee experience and how it is different from this talk of culture and engagement. Um, it's, it's about looking at what are the behaviors and the repetitive things mm -hmm. that need to be done in the school with and for people that ultimately, yes, will deliver an improved culture or possibly improved engagement scores. Culture is such an ambiguous word, right? It's, it's this massive thing that means a lot of things to different people, a lot of different things to different people. So being able to measure that by itself is difficult. What you do instead is you measure along the way. So a lot of schools that we talk to, they do annual employee engagement surveys. It's 40 or 50, 60 questions done in May, much like ISTEP, another standardized test. It takes a month or so to get the results back. And at that point, it's summer break. and You can't influence change during that school year. Is that right? That's exactly right. And I mean, that's not very helpful, right? I mean, if I just hopped on the scale at home, checking my weight, I'm trying to lose weight, but I'm not really doing anything about it, but I'm still just hopping on the scale, measuring it. I mean, that's asinine, right? Like I can't expect the numbers to change my weight if I'm not doing the things that I'm supposed to do that I'm hoping to influence that number. And I think that's where we get into these messes sometimes, not just in education, but in business, because businesses got caught up in the whole employee engagement wave also and spent a lot of money on it. And lo and behold, 30 years later, after employee engagement was first uh, coined a term, according to Gallup, we're still at the same levels of employee engagement as what we were 30 years ago. And I firmly believe it's because we have our eye on the wrong ball. And that is engagement is an outcome. We need to focus on the things we know we need to be doing based off of those 30 plus years of what employees have told their employers consistently of what they want 
that makes up a healthy workplace. They want autonomy in decision making. They want strong leaders who are emotionally intelligent. They want good recognition and appreciation practices. They want a clear path for advancement and mobility. They want flexibility in where they work whenever that's possible. They want a good total rewards and compensation policy. Um, so it's not complicated, but we have to consistently do those things well and not necessarily go chase after new shiny bright objects whenever something comes up. We've got the research over 30 plus years of knowing what makes a great employee experience for the majority of employees, regardless of what profession they're in. Now is the time that we need to invest in that, consistently do it well, because when you do that, lo and behold, if you're a for-profit company, you actually make more money. And if you do it as a school, then what you're gonna find is you're actually increasing student achievement scores and student outcome data um, because you're creating a better experience for the adults in the school as well, which then makes for a better experience for the students. Yeah. So how do you know if you have an employee experience problem? What's that look like in action? The first one would be turnover, right? That one's obvious. And my guess would be superintendents, um, the chief HR officers inside schools are going to have some good data around what the attrition looks like. But then you can also dig further. You can do an employee net promoter score like every quarter or maybe bi-monthly. And it's simply one question on a scale of 1 to 10. You ask everybody anonymously in the organization, would you recommend a friend or family member to come work here? How likely are you to do that on a scale of 1 to 10? And there's actual science behind it. Um, and, and there's a certain formula that you have to use in order to get the score and where that score falls within the classification range. But that's another leading indicator of data you should be gathering from your people about what it's like to actually work there. So if, you're, if you have a low ENPS, then that's going to be indicative of not only are your people not really happy and satisfied working there, but the likelihood of them referring anyone to come work there or talking positively about your school culture or your school brand in the community is very low. And for, for any business or school, one of the best ways to continue refreshing your talent pool is through referrals. Is if you have amazing people who enjoy working there, you want them to refer friends, family members, acquaintances, and singing from the mountaintops, how amazing it is to work in that school to encourage other people to do the same. So an ENPS is also important. Going back to the turnover, what we also know uh, in business is the first six months is the greatest likelihood of losing a new hire. So whenever you hire that new teacher, you want to make sure that you have uh, highly effective onboarding processes in place. And this is just not orientation, right? Orientation is here are your benefits. Here's where you park. Here's what time you need to be there. Those here's are your laptop. Here's your laptop. Exactly. Yeah. Onboarding is nurturing and building the right relationships in the school. And so making sure that there's uh, possibly a mentorship program um, for those new hires is extremely critical. So those are just a few of the indicators, looking at what your turnover numbers are. Then also on the other side of things, looking at your recruiting numbers. 
how many applicants are you getting whenever there is a vacant position and what's the quality of the applicants you need to know that data inside and out as well because it could be maybe you don't have a problem keeping but whenever there is a vacancy you're struggling finding the new talent and then that's when you need to start thinking through critically about okay do we need to revamp our recruiting practices do we need to create some type of an internship program where if we can't find highly qualified certified mm -hmm. teachers do we need to build out a program where we can find good talent and then train and equip them to eventually be fully certified as a teacher those mm -hmm. are the types of data where you really want someone wearing the hat inside a school of being the strategic human capital leader and that is the person who's owning the entire um, talent flywheel from attracting to recruiting to hiring and then retention and development as well somebody needs mm -hmm. to own those processes in schools and that needs to be a part of the regular um, executive meetings that are had with the board that are had with the superintendents um, just like is done in the business world because it's not going to get any easier moving forward to find and hire and retain great teachers, administrators, and support staff. You mentioned it earlier, Eric. The burnout is with bus drivers. Schools are struggling to find bus drivers. They're struggling to find cafeteria workers. Well, investing in these types of things that improve your employer brand will pay dividends in the long run because it's not going to get easier to find people. It's going to become more challenging. And so you're going to have to come up with creative ways to not only put your fingers in the holes of the dam to keep the people you have, but you're also going to have to figure out ways to attract and get top qualified talent to say, that's a place where I can see myself work and where I want to make my contributions. Yeah, and speaking of creative ways, I know you've created an employee experience framework, right? Because the idea of employee experience, you talked about lots of things, attracting, recruiting, hiring, retaining. There are so many different components and buckets. And as I think about the employee experience, I start to get lost with where do I even start? What's my beginning point? How will I know when I'm successful? And to help with that, you've created a framework called the Four Principles of Connection. Can you talk about the 4PC a little bit? So... What really frustrated me for a long time was in the employee engagement world, most of the assessments that are used in business, there's like 30 different drivers for employee engagement. Not only does that create a quagmire for leadership to understand and know what to focus on, but it means for the people working in the organization, they have no idea what's being measured, why it's being measured, and whether or not it matters. And so... What we did was we took a look at what are the different buckets that the things that truly matter for employees in order to deliver their best value, not only for them in feeling satisfied and fulfilled, but also drives value in the marketplace. What are the buckets that the employee experience activities fall in? And there's four of them, just four. And so we all can remember four things, at least I hope we can. And that is, if you are a leader inside an organization, when you're thinking about what types of experiences to offer for your employees, you need to offer experiences that help people better connect with themselves, 
connect with others, connect with their role, and connect with the organization as a whole. And essentially what those boil down to is you need to have the right connections that are then used to build the experiences. You can think of them as like the right building blocks. And then that is ultimately what gives you your culture at the end that you're striving to have. And so an example of something with connecting to self, right? You can help people if they haven't ever worked through understanding their personal values, can go through an exercise of helping people understand their personal values and align those to the organizational values. Um, connection to others. This is where having really good feedback systems in place is important so that people can give positive feedback and employee recognition and appreciation to each other. An example underneath um, connection to role would be laying out clearly defined goals and paths and what those benchmarks are to hit for career advancement within the company. Okay, you're telling me, Eric, that you eventually want to become an elementary principal. Well, here's where we are today, and here are the steps along the way that we're going to measure and help track your growth in order to help you achieve that goal that you have for your career advancement. And then the fourth one, connection to the organization. This is, do you feel like your organization is doing something that truly makes an impact in the world? And so one of the best ways in business and schools is to bring in stories of impact from the outside. So having parents write letters that say, here's what my son or daughter is doing now, uh, maybe five, six, seven, eight, nine years later, and remind those teachers of this is the impact that you had. Um, on this person's life, because for most teachers, that's why they do what they do. The ones who end up staying, it's not because all of a sudden they're getting paid that much better. It's because of the connection that they have with others. So four principles of connection, the more leaders focus on creating an experience from, uh, from candidate experience and people um, putting out an application to apply all the way to offboarding, focus on experiences to help people connect with themselves on a deeper level connect with others, connect with their role, and connect with the organization. When you focus on that flywheel, then you're working on creating a stronger employer brand, which attracts stronger talent in, makes people want to stay there, and ultimately can get you to the point of being viewed as a destination employer where people can see themselves staying, possibly for many, many, many years, possibly all the way to retirement. And that's ultimately, I think, what most schools want and would love to have. Yeah. And even things like, you know, connection to self, what I think about there is the idea of why. Why did I become an educator? Why did I become a, a teacher in the first place? And it's to impact kids. It's to have relationships with kids, to make them successful, to help set them up for life success. But what happens is, again, all those expectations are placed upon us, right? All of the demands, things aren't taken off the plate. We lose track of that why. Teachers lose track of the why so often. So when you have a framework such as, let's remind our, ourselves of what we're doing here, connection to organization, what is the impact that we're making? We can see all the amazing things that are happening. Reinforcing the why consistently, I could imagine really helps with teacher retention because you're reminding people why they got into education in the first place. It's not for I-STEP. It's not for standards. It's not for all of those things. It's about making a difference in the life of somebody else. You're exactly right. And I mean, Eric, is it any different from what 
that the really great teachers do with their students. Anytime they're introducing a new concept, it's we're going to talk about why this is important and how it connects to the other things maybe that you've learned and how it's going to connect to things moving forward. Like they're laying that foundation of why is this important? Why are we doing it? But I think we lose sight of that um, in education when it comes to the employee experience. And so the four principles of connection, like you just mentioned, it's bringing that back to the forefront. We need to think at a metacognitive level about why we're doing what we're doing, how it's connected in the right ways. And that connection is uh, about more than just connecting with the students and connecting with each other. Like we got to connect people to the organization in healthy ways, connect them with the external stakeholders. We've got to connect them with their role and help them feel like there is a path for growth and opportunity and advancement for them and the work that they're doing. Because let's face it, there are a lot more opportunities out there now for teachers to do something else. And it's going to only increase. There's only going to be increased opportunity for them in the private sector to get other kind of jobs. And so if you are a school administrator um, who is a visionary and you're trying to look out five, ten years from now, what I can share with you is these data aren't going to get better in terms of the labor market. You aren't all of a sudden going to be sitting on uh, a mother load of amazing candidates coming to your school. Um, the, the market is going to be a challenge. And so these things are now table stakes. You now have to focus on the employee experience to have a shot at getting and keeping these great teachers. And I think schools traditionally have done a good, good job of focusing on the purpose. Um, but I think it can be done even better. But it's these other aspects of what it's like to actually work in the schools that needs to be improved. The autonomy, the appreciation. Um, is it possible to pay them enough to where they can have sabbaticals to get those longer breaks and respites along the way? Because it's tough. It's tough being with kids. Um, that long, you know, 20, 30 kids in a classroom um, every year. So those are the things that give me hope and optimism is that I, I'm seeing more things that are learned from business being brought into education and thinking more like strategic human capital leaders um, instead of just relying on the old ways of trying to get teachers with job fairs or just having a relationship with the university. Um, those enrollment numbers in colleges for teachers are dropping um, significantly. And so now, if you are the strategic human capital leader, you got to start thinking innovatively, right? You've got to start thinking of, okay, maybe what are some other things that we can do to tap into some other markets to try and recruit talent out of, and then eventually train them up to be a fully certified teacher. That's the type of new thinking that's going to be required. Um, in order to keep up with rising demand for teachers and administrators. So what what's your biggest takeaway for school leaders listening to this? We talked about a lot, the employee experience, four principles of connection, this idea of, of human capital, thought processes. What's the biggest takeaway that school leaders can do, in your opinion, to improve the employee experience right now? Yeah, the number one for me would be um, think about what data you're going over in your executive meetings. If you are not every single meeting 
going through your retention rates and dissecting it every which way you can. If you're not looking at your recruiting practices, dissecting it every single way you can. If you don't have feedback processes in place for your existing staff to provide anonymous feedback about how your organization, the school is doing as an employer, you have to start there. You've got to start gathering data on these things and you or someone on your team has to be accountable for that data. Now, I don't mean that in a negative term, like someone's going to lose their job. I just mean in terms of whenever you have these meetings that you regularly have to talk about student data and other strategic objectives, those data related to talent on retention and, and uh, recruiting and attracting talent, those things need to be up there at the very top with your student test scores with your graduation rate, all of those other holy grail numbers that schools are constantly looking over, the things related to your talent need to also be up there with the attracting and recruiting numbers and the retention numbers. And that accountability means it's always going to be discussed. It's always going to be right there in front of everyone in that leadership meeting's face, and there's going to be a discussion around it because it's that important. Because everything else in terms of the value that a school delivers hinges on how well they are handling the employee experience for their teachers and their administrators and support staff. So that has to be a focal point of the key strategic meetings with the top executives and the school boards in the case of public schools. Yeah, I talk a lot about helping teachers and staff really feel heard, supported, and valued. So only way you know if people feel heard, supported, and valued is to measure that. So being very intentional about feedback processes, about appreciation cycles, about thinking through processes and systems that you have, making sure that you're making progress in those areas that are most important. Yeah, awesome. Well, Jason, I appreciate it very much. How, how can people get a hold of you if they want to reach out and learn more about the work you do? Sure. You can find me on LinkedIn. I am the only Jason D. Cochran, D as in dog. Um, but I'm a LinkedIn um, aholic. I absolutely love LinkedIn. That's one of the best ways to get in touch with me. Um, I also just launched a personal website for professional speaking on employee experience. And that's jasondcochran.com or principlesofconnection.com. And that's not school principles. That's principles with an I um, in the second part. But those would be the, the two best ways to get in touch with me on this topic. Well, I appreciate your time very much, Jason. Thank you, Eric. It was fun. Our goal at the end of every episode is to have our guests, have family members, friends, uh, students at their school say thank you or tell a story about a teacher that's made a big impact on their lives. And today we have two of Jason's sons, Crew and Duke, saying thank you to their teachers, Mrs. Busberg and Miss Kivett. Listen to this. It's pretty awesome. Crew, what do you want to thank Miss Busberg for? I just did it. Give yeah, us you guys say it again. Okay. Thank you for doing centers, Miss Busberg. Duke, what do you want to thank your teacher, Miss Kivett, for? Thank you for teaching me new stuff this year. Thank you for that message, Duke and Crew. Sounds like you have some amazing teachers. If you haven't yet today, go thank an educator for all they're doing for us. This has been the Employee Experience in Education podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and don't forget to leave a review. Thanks and have a wonderful day.